0: because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus.
1: Awesome, thanks you guys. Uh, Hey, it is good to be back with you this morning to open up the scriptures together. We are continuing uh, in our series, uh, our teaching series that we've been calling Rock of Ages. Rock of Ages, uh, and that phrase actually comes from, you may have guessed, uh, that song that we just sung, Rock of Ages. Uh, And the idea behind it is that when you look at God uh just like the God of the scriptures the God of the Bible when you when you look at what the Bible says about him and all of his his nature and his character and attributes what we see is that this God is the only sure foundation the only solid rock that we can stand on in this universe of sinking sand and this morning, the attribute and character trait of God that I want us to, to look at, to see as something that we can rest in, something we can stand on, is the mercy of God. God's mercy. Now, this Morning's message is going to sort of build on uh, the message that we talked about, uh, that, the, the topic we unpacked last week, the grace of God. The difference between mercy and grace is that with mercy, God is basically withholding this punishment that we deserve. But with grace, he's showing favor to us that we also don't deserve. And so both mercy and grace are are, um, both things that we don't deserve. You can't have the one without the other with the way they work together. But I want us to to focus on mercy because we can't have grace, which we talked about last week, without mercy. God can't show favor to us without first extending mercy to us. And so this morning, we're going to look at, number one, the nature of God's mercy And then we're going to look at the works of God's mercy. And lastly, we're going to talk about the centrality of God's mercy, why it is of utmost importance uh, to us as Christians. So let's do point number one, the nature of God's mercy, the nature of God's mercy, Now, the question that wants to start our time with probably the most important, the most fundamental question that we'll ever wrestle with is the question, who is God? Before we talk about all the mercy that God has done, our second point, the works of God's mercy, before we get there, we need to first talk about who our God of mercy is. What does he say about himself A.W. Poser, I mean, Tozer, he's not a poser. Uh, He's the real deal. Uh, A.W. Tozer uh, has uh, this quote at the beginning of his book on God's attributes that um, I, I just really love. He says, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I think Tozer's right. I think he's absolutely right. Because, look, if, if there is a God, which obviously I believe, obviously we believe, uh, then if there is a God, then who he is and what he's revealed about himself, the creator, is of utmost importance. Because who this, your answer to the question and what you think about who God is, will determine how you live. Whether your life has purpose or not, or whether this is just all random atoms swirling about with arbitrarily, with no sense or meaning behind it, Uh, it will determine uh, uh, how you determine what, what purpose and meaning looks like in life. And if there is a God, and if he is a personal God... The man being, knowing him, enjoying him, being in a relationship with him is the most important thing that there is. Now, the good news for us is that God has been kind enough to reveal to us in his word who he is and what he's like. He didn't have to do that, but he did. He revealed himself to us uh, uh, through uh, the scriptures. He has revealed his nature and his character and his works. And look, the very fact that God is willing to do that, that he's willing to sort of pull back the curtain of the universe and let us look inside uh, to, to, to get sense of, of, of our meaning and purpose and who he is, just the sheer fact that God is willing to do that is an act of mercy. It's an act of mercy. He doesn't have to do that, but he does. And one of the places that God most clearly reveals and describes himself uh, in mercy is actually in uh, Exodus chapter 34. I want you to look at this passage with me really quick. It says the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Now, what's happening here is that uh the Lord, the God, Lord God Almighty, he 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 has descended into this cloud on Mount Sinai to stand there with Moses and to proclaim uh and to reveal and proclaim himself. Uh, it says right there, he proclaimed uh his uh his own name. And then verse six: the Lord passed before him, before Moses and proclaimed the Lord the Lord a God merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness Now, when he says steadfast love, that's that Hebrew word "hesed" that we talked about a few weeks ago, that beautiful word. Now, now, this moment here, this moment that we just read about in Exodus 34 is like a huge watershed moment in all of human history because this is a moment, the moment that the transcendent God of all the universe breaks into space and time and speaks to somebody. He speaks to Moses with a message that, that is to be written down and repeated to all of God's people. And in this moment, He He the Lord He discloses his name and His nature to Moses. So this is almost like one of the very first divine press releases where God says, Excuse me, may I have your attention. I'm here is who I am. Here is what I'm about. I want you to know me. That is what makes this passage of Scripture the most quoted part of the Bible by the Bible. Right? Again and again, other writers of scripture point back to quoting this passage of scripture in some shape or form or, or, or other, like over and over. This is sort of like the ground zero for, for what we should believe about God. This passage, uh, right here in Exodus 34 is one of the most important things that God wants us to know about him. And, and what is it that God reveals? First, we see there in verse, uh, in, in verse uh, five, and then in the beginning in verse six, he states his name. He states his name. In our English Bibles, we see it as the Lord in all caps. But in the original Hebrew, it's the name Yahweh. Now that Hebrew name, Yahweh, uh, uh, literally translates to the great I am, which I know is like w- kind of a weird name, right? Like, what do you mean the great I am? Uh, but, but the sense that, that he's trying to get across, the idea is that he is the eternally existent one, eternally existent one. In other words, he's the God who just is. The God who just always was, who always is and who always will be. Uh, th- this is his way of saying that he is just transcendent, uh, so other than us in all different levels. he He ontologically exists on a whole nother plane from us. I want you to imagine being Moses. In that moment, when God comes down and says, hey, I'm going to proclaim my name. I'm going to tell you who I am. And the first thing he says is, I am the great I am. Now, when he first heard that Hebrew word uttered by the the Lord for the first time, Yahweh, the Lord saying, I am Yahweh, I am the great I am, the eternally existent One. Now, I want you to imagine what have been would have been like uh, for Moses hearing that for the first time, hearing this word, this name that God gives Himself, that is just so loaded with this idea of God's existence, just His uh, uh, that's so loaded with His uh, simple assaity and existence, that He's just the God who is, and how that that that. Truth as it begins to settle into Moses's mind, and to where he just has this moment, right, and starts to to impact his heart, where he starts to realize, man, this God who's speaking to me. This God who has condescended to make himself known to us, this is the God who just always was, a God who exists on a whole other level than us. He is categorically different from us. He's a whole category unto himself. He is the creator, and literally everything else in the universe is creation. Whatever view that Moses may have had of God in that moment, Whatever box he he may have previously had God in, whatever presuppositions he may have had about God, in that moment, just suddenly that box burst. This is the God who just is. And look, that's the same for, for, for you and me this morning. Whatever view of God we might have had before this message even began, I guarantee you it is not big enough it is not big enough our our largest views of god just barely scratch the surface of how great and big and powerful and beautiful he is and with that however great you think god's mercy is it's also not great enough and I want you to see how he continues how, 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 how the Lord reveals more about himself and starts to move from, from not just his name, but his nature. He s- describes himself as a God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Now, do you know what it means when we say that God is merciful? What we, what we mean when we say God's mercy, what we're talking about is, is, is a goodness and a compassion that is extended toward fallen creatures who are in need. That's, that's the essence of mercy. It is goodness and compassion extended toward fallen creatures who are in need. Now, many of you know that my two oldest children are three and five years old, and uh, right now at the top shelf of our pantry, we're keeping their leftover Easter snacks. I know, I know, like we totally let that thing drag on, right? Like we make that Easter loot last, right? Now, because it's in the top shelf, here's my point, because it's in the top shelf, uh, 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 they can't reach uh, their, their snacks, their Easter snacks, but I can right? right. If they want to get to those last few Reese's pieces, then I have to bring it down to their level. You could say in some sense, they're at my mercy, right? They are at my mercy. They are dependent on me uh, being willing to show goodness and compassion to them who are in need. Remember, that's our definition of mercy. And see, children are needy like that. They constantly need help. They constantly need assistance. They need guidance and support. They need provision and protection. They are in constant need of mercy. And because of the sin that we have in our own hearts, we have fallen short, uh, Paul says in the book of Romans, we have fallen short of the glory of God. It is out of reach to us and so god's goodness and compassion are out of reach and that's why we need his mercy we need him to be willing to extend that goodness and compassion to us because we are in great need but check it out here's the good news right here in our passage this is what makes it the most quoted passage in by all in in all the other scripture of all the other scriptures Uh, what did god say to moses how does he define himself he says i am mercy I am merciful and gracious, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Now, I love that word abounding, abounding in chesed, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Look at that word abounding like this. Uh, My kids, they love cheese pizza, right? They are kids after their daddy's own heart. All right. They love pizza. Now, now the other night we had pizza together as a family and they'd gotten to this point uh, to after munching on pizza for so long that they both were like, dad, I want another slice. Uh, and so as I'm walking back to the kitchen, I'm, I'm like all worried. I'm like, I've been eating a lot of pizza too. I don't know if there's any slices left. And so I'm all nervous when I'm opening the pizza box. Uh, and to my horror, <laughs> there was only one slice left. And so, uh, you know, just trying to be a good dad, my solution because I knew that their heart was set on this cheesy tomato goodness. I was like, I can't go back without two slices in hand. And so I split that one slice in two. Now, what happened to me in that moment is that I found myself limited. I found myself lacking. And so I had to get creative to figure out how to make it work. And the slices that they got were were limited in, in response. They both got half a slice. Now God, when we say that he is abounding, he does not work that way, right? He is abounding in steadfast love. He is abounding in faithfulness, abounding in mercy. And so when he opens up the mercy box, it just explodes and slices all over the kitchen. He, There's always plenty when it comes with God. There's always abundance when it comes to him, You see, the good news is that God is better than any of us could ever dream or hope. See, God is both great and gracious. He's both Yahweh and merciful. You see, we need both of those because if God is great and not merciful, that's not good news to us, right? Like if he's great, but not merciful to us, like that doesn't put us in a a great spot. But in, in the same way, if he's merciful, but not great, that's also not great news. It's like, it doesn't really matter to us if God is merciful, if he can't, if he's not great enough, powerful enough to do anything with that mercy. And so we need both right? Both of those need to be truth. And so that's why it's good news to us that God is not only holy and sovereign and great, but that he's also gracious and merciful. Okay? So now that we've settled who God is, now that we've settled his nature, let's talk about what he's done. What our great and merciful God has done in history? What are his works? That's point number two, the works of God's mercy. The work of God's mercy, and to see that, we're gonna do an overview of the biblical story because we can look at the whole scripture as the record and narrative of God and his mercy. The Bible is a story about him, but we tend to make it a story about us, right? About how to find meaning and purpose in life, about how to get ahead and how to be successful, how to be a happy person, but the Bible is not primarily about you. All right. Like it's for you. It's helpful in those areas, but it's not primarily about you. All right. It's not, it's for you, but it's about Jesus. It's about God's greatness and mercy in the person of Jesus Christ. That is the big idea of this book. All right. And so in its pages, we see the unfolding story of God's mercy. And if we were to split the Bible into four sort of mega chapters, if we were to take all the stories and narratives of the Bible, and split it into four chapters from beginning to end, it would have the following headings. Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Now let's walk through each of those and see how the story of God's mercy unfolds. Chapter one, creation. God is our merciful creator. Look at Genesis one one with me. It says, in the beginning, God. The very first words of all the Bible, in the beginning, God. You see, it tells us that God was there in the beginning. He made everything. He is the creator of all. Look, I think that all of us, regardless of your faith background, deep down inside, we all know that this is not an accident. That all that there is is not an accident And that there is a God who made it all And who holds it all together Like you just look at the complexities Of like your fingerprint The details in your spouse's eyes uh, and You think about the expanding womb uh, That an unborn child is, is in uh, From the heavens on high To the depths of the ocean below To the pool of gravity uh, To the turning of time uh, All of it screams This This is not an accident. There is a maker behind this. And when God in the beginning made all creation, he stepped back and he called it good. He said, this is good. And out of his mercy, he made us. He fashioned every cell into every creature, including mankind. Uh, he created us male and female in his image and likeness. And he didn't make us because he had some great ego and needed to be worshiped. Remember, he, he, he's He's the God who just is, the great I am. He was perfect and holy and already uh, 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 in a perfect relationship in and of himself, Father, Son, and Spirit. So he didn't need us. Yet he made us and invites us into knowing who he is, into loving him. And that just an act in and of itself is, is an act of mercy. The fact that he made us, that we might know him. And yet, what did we do with that gift? That gift of just knowing and enjoying God forever? We squandered it. We trampled upon it. And that's chapter two in the Bible story. Chapter two in the story of the Bible is the fall, where we squandered God's mercy. You see, when our first parents, Adam and Eve, sinned against God, uh, they squandered his mercy. We squandered his mercy with them, mankind did. And when we did, our hearts were stained by sin. That is a stain that, that we can't remove. And it's a stain that he cannot tolerate, that God cannot tolerate. Now, my skeptic friends, they do not like this part of the Bible story, right? Because when I talk to them about Jesus, they'll say things like, I don't like that God has a standard, that he He judges people for their actions. As if what we think and feel about God uh, should be the gold standard for what he's actually like. You see, when we say things like that, When we say things like like I just can't believe in a God who this or he does he he shouldn't be that way When we say things like that, we actually have a small view of God because we uh, We're expecting him to think and act just like us But remember God doesn't just set the standard that he has to meet He is the standard And so if we say that God should lower the standard, then he has to be less less than that standard. He has to be less of God, right? It's like getting mad at fire for being hot. But the Bible tells us that God is better than the assumptions that we make about him. He's bigger than the boxes that we try and cram him in. And so when we sinned against God, it was a cosmic offense to who he is. It was a complete subversion of all that is good, true, and beautiful. And now apart from that mercy, apart from his mercy, we all bear the stain of sin. You see, the reason that all creation groans, as Roman says, the reason that there are things in this world that makes us go, this is not right. Things have got to be better than this. The reason that we all long for that something better, we all long for something more, for something more whole and something more beautiful is because sin broke what was good and perfect. Sin broke what God's good, perfect, in, perfectly intended world, world uh, looks like. We've lost the mercy that we once knew. This is what C.S. Lewis is getting at when he said, Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there's such a thing as water. And if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. You See, that's why we all long for something more is because we live as fallen creatures in a fallen world. We know that there is something more to, uh, God's intended existence for us. And the good news is that the story of God's mercy does not end there. It doesn't end with us, uh, with, with, with mercy getting squandered and us being left broken in our sin. We're like those children that are reaching up for that top shelf, reaching for hope and for light in a dark world. We are in need of mercy, and the good news is that God has provided it. He provided help for the broken, light for the darkness, hope for the hopeless in Christ Jesus, our Savior. And that's chapter three in the story of God's mercy, Redemption. Redemption, that new mercy has come down in Jesus. You see, our God did not leave uh, his children in darkness. He did not leave his his created world in its broken state. He longs for it to be made whole again, to be beautiful again. That's why he sent Jesus. That's why he sent his son, into the world so that the broken would be once again restored so that the lost would be found. You see, this is the pinnacle of the gospel. The pinnacle of the gospel is that God provided what we could not. He achieved what we could not work for. In his mercy and grace, Jesus paid the penalty for our sin so that all who trust in him would be reconciled with God and restored to the good life that God uh, intended for us in the beginning. I want you to read about this in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 7. Now, this chapter is a great summary of the gospel. It's a great uh, a display of God's mercy and grace. It says there in verse one through verse seven, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that's the devil, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by by nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. In other words, we were all hopeless. We were all fallen creatures. Look at verse four. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You see, those two words, but God might be the two most comforting words in all of the scriptures. They tell us that our only hope is God's mercy and grace, and he's done it for us. He's given it to us. It says in this passage that we were redeemed from God's justice, that we were once children of wrath and deserving of God's eternal punishment because of our rebellion, But God, instead of pouring out his wrath on us, has shown us richness and mercy in Christ. We also see redemption in how we were redeemed from the enemy's grip, from the devil's grip. It says that we were once captive to the enemy, how we were sons of disobedience, but God raised us up in Jesus and makes us sit with him as adopted sons and daughters, makes us sit with Jesus in the heavenly places. This chapter of redemption also tells us that we are redeemed from death's sting. It says we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God made us alive in Jesus. You and I were dead in our sins, totally helpless, totally depraved, no spiritual life at all. But God, when he looked at your darkened and decayed heart, Jesus said, I want that. I want that royal mess and I want to make it alive again. I want to make it beautiful again. And I am going to die for it. That is how you and I got saved. You were helpless and without hope. And then in grace, Jesus came, he stepped in, he took initiative in mercy, he quickened your soul. He lived, he died, he was buried and he rose for you in triumphant victory over evil, sin and death he did all of that for you so that by grace through faith you could be made alive and free and whole and beautiful again forever chapter four now in the story of God's mercy is restoration that mercy makes us new now look as amazing as redemption is that we just that we just walked through in ephesians 2 uh, as amazing as it is. Uh the mercy of God does not just stop at redemption. Like we're not just saved from sin, but we're saved to uh, something new. We're saved to something more beautiful. We're saved to a new life of righteousness and holiness and walking in the ways of Jesus as God Himself works in us and through us. I read about this in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verse 10. Uh, In verse 10, it says that we are his, God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, when the Apostle Paul, who's writing this, when he uses, uh, uh, when he writes that word workmanship, it's, it's, it's actually the Greek word poema. That's the original uh word it's poema where we get our english word for poem you see what he had in mind when he wrote this word is this masterful creative work just like a poem so, if you're a follower of Jesus, and 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 this text is calling you God's workmanship, His poem, His poem, I want you to see that as God's creative work of renewal in you, to make you new. All, all, how all of the dramatic uh, joys and and challenges, uh, tragedies and triumphs uh, that make up your existence uh, is more epic and more real than you could ever comprehend. So, if you 're a disciple of Jesus, I want you to see that uh, it, that like if you if you think of yourself as like a dull piece of art, then you don't see yourself as you really are. If you don't see yourself as a masterpiece, as a creative work of God, then you do not see yourself as you truly are. You see the brightest and most wonderful brilliant star that exists out there in the sky cannot trace itself back to its creator's genius. But because of God's mercy, you can. And that is a wonderful thing. That is a beautiful thing because Jesus has made you alive. He has given you new eyes to see. He's given you a mind to perceive and a heart that can experience God's great work of mercy in the world, uh, but also in your soul that you are his poema, his workmanship. What that means is that in Jesus, you're not just made clean and forgiven, you're also made new. You're also created into something new. You're also loved and accepted and celebrated, not just forgiven, but not just forgiven of your past, but given a hope for your present and your future. You're also adopted into a new family, the church, with brothers and sisters and a father who is perfect, and you have a new future with him. You're given gifts and purpose in the church, and you're sent out into the world to be ambassadors of hope and mercy to a broken world that desperately needs it. Okay, so we've talked about the nature of God's mercy. We've unpacked the work of God's mercy. And that leads us now into our final point, the centrality of God's mercy. The centrality of God's mercy. In other words, this aspect of God, this attribute of his, the fact that he is merciful and gracious to us is central to who we are as followers of Jesus. You see, the story of God's mercy, creation, fall, redemption, restoration, is the gospel. It's the gospel which means good news. It is the power of God for salvation. So here's what that means. That means that this story of God's mercy unfolding needs to be more than just information that you store up in your head, but it needs to become a passion, a burning passion in your heart and needs to become power in your life. The gospel needs to be the the center of who we are as followers of Christ. And so if the God of the Bible, if Yahweh is known for his mercy and grace, then we as his people need to be centered on his mercy and grace. If God who has revealed his name as, as somebody who is gracious and merciful, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, then that needs to mark who we are as people who know him and enjoy him forever. See that's why we start by 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 laying this foundation by by um talking about God's mercy uh, in this series. It's because if you want to know and to enjoy God then you need to first grasp the story of God's mercy. You need to Embrace the story of God's mercy in the historic event of who Jesus is, God in the flesh, on the cross, in your place for your sins. That is the message of mercy, and it is the message of true life. Remember that Tozer quote, that great Tozer quote that we we read earlier in the beginning, how the most important thing about us is what we think about God? Well, C.S. Lewis cleverly responded, sort of tongue-in-cheek, to Tozer's uh, quote in an article. Uh, And in that article, he wrote, I read in a periodical the other day that the fundamental thing is how we think about God. But by God himself, it is not. (laughs) How God thinks of us is not only more important but infinitely more important. Indeed, how we think of him is is of no importance except insofar as it is related to how he thinks of us. So, hey, brothers and sisters, I want you to ask an honest question right now. Reflecting on Lewis's quote, Is the mercy of God towards you in Jesus Christ the most fundamental thing about you? Is it the most important thing that you hold on to for your identity? Is the mercy of God towards you in Jesus Christ central to who you are and how you live? Have you tasted God's mercy? Like, do you actually have a real sense of it, a a constant real sense of it in your life? Do you just merely know that God is merciful or do you actually have a tangible sense of it to where it's almost like you can taste it? Has it grabbed you? Has it transformed you? Has it wrecked you for good? You see, we never graduate or move on from the mercy of God. We never graduate from the gospel. We never move beyond our marveling at his mercy. And look, maybe maybe you're here this morning, you're tuning in and you're somebody who you de- you describe yourself as a skeptic. Like you don't know if you believe in the mercy of God. And if that's you, Let me just say, we are so glad that you still decided to tune in this morning. Please know that you are free to ask even the hardest questions about our faith because we believe that there are good and satisfying answers in the scriptures, in the mercy of God through Jesus Christ and verified throughout history. And we are here uh, as a church community who's willing to walk alongside you and answer your questions to help you on your own faith journey as you seek to learn more about Christ and why his mercy matters. Maybe you're tuning in and you consider yourself somebody who does believe in the mercy of God. But when I ask that question, if, if it's really central to your life, if you have a tangible sense of it, in this season of your life, uh, your honest answer is no. And that you feel like you're in the season where you're not experiencing its power. It's not central to your life. And if that's you, let me just say, I'm so stoked that you are willing to just own that and admit that. And please know that the Spirit of God wants to woo you back to Himself, woo you back to Christ, back to your first love by gazing at the beauty and the mercy of God as written in the Scriptures. Maybe you're already passionate about the mercy of God. You describe yourself as somebody who currently has a tangible sense of God's mercy, where it stirs you. It is central to you. And if that's you, man, celebrate that. Celebrate that. Be excited about that. But then don't keep it to yourself. Share it with others. Be overflowed with hope in that mercy so that you might spill out into hope onto others. Live it out and be humble enough to yearn for even more to grow in your understanding of God's mercy. For all of us this morning, let's just commit to carrying on with a humble posture and a heart that is ready to either receive or remember or rehearse the great mercy of our great God, that Jesus is our greatest hope. That he is our loudest boast. That he is the banner that we wave, the message we proclaim, and the song that we sing. His mercy is abundant. It never ends. It always flows. It is new to us every day. And God wants you to have it, to experience it, and to live its implications out for His glory and for the good of others. So let's be those people.
0: Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no.com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.